You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. As we work through our application Sunday, we're going to recap some of our previous sermons. Um, but as you're turning, want to say a public thank you once again to Jessica and Alex and just the sacrifices they made this week to ensure that our kids could participate in another week of Snowbird. It's such a, a great week to get them away from their normal schedule and to be able to have that intentional time of focus, both with relationship building amongst our youth group and then also just to have that time in the Word and to sit under the Word together. Uh, just an incredible blessing. And um, also want to thank the McMurray family for the sacrifices that they've made over the past year and a half and just the um, the effort that they've put into uh, furthering the, the kingdom and, and sharing the gospel in a context that, that many of us will never be able to step into. And so uh, super thankful for their um, their commitment to loving Jesus and helping others to, to love Jesus as well. We go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and based on when our last application Sunday was, we'll pick up in verse 14, and I want to read to you verses uh, 14 through 18 once again. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now again, this passage is talking about the merging of Jew and Gentile together as one people of God. And we said in a summary sentence format for this week that my identity is found not in the blood that runs through me, but in the blood that runs over me. For it is the blood of Christ that makes peace possible between me and God and creates unity between me and other believers. Many times in this world, we would find unity based more on the blood that runs through us, right? We would find commonality with people who come from the same background or the same culture or who share the same skin color as us. We would find unity in that expression. But what Scripture really teaches us is that as believers, our identity is found more in the blood of Christ than the blood that indwells our body, Um, that it's Christ's blood that unites us and unites us from all the differences that we see in and among us we're now united as one people of God, and that's the, that's the role of the gospel is to unite us to God and to unite us to each other. And Jesus accomplishes what's necessary for both of those things. He's dealt with the law, these verses tell us, in such a way where he's made peace possible. He has dealt decisively with the law where the condemnation and the requirements that were applied to us have been removed because he's come and kept the law for us. And what Paul is unpacking here in these verses, again, is that his plan, God's plan is to unite us from all backgrounds into one people. I shared with you the acronym that we use at Trinity uh, that, that really highlights the differences that we have, uh, but then how God is uniting us in that. And so we use that acronym for grace. It's uh, uniting us regardless of our gender, regardless of our resources, the type of uh, financial background we come from. We see pictures from Nepal. They're obviously in a different economic situation than we are, but there's believers there uh, as well as believers here. Um, our uh, abilities, the different abilities that we have, the, the skin color that we have, the ethnicity that we possess. These things are ways that we're different, but God is uniting us in spite of those differences. And he calls us then to strive for unity with each other. 
um, that if this is what the gospel is seeking to accomplish, both a uniting of us to God and a uniting of us to each other, then we have a responsibility to pursue unity with each other. When there is broken fellowship, when, when we've been hurt uh, by others or when we have done the hurting and we have hurt other people, we have a responsibility to pursue reconciliation with each other because that is what the gospel is seeking to accomplish. And so we, we strive to maintain unity with each other. And so I challenged you this week as we were looking at these verses. One, from a, from a salvation standpoint, have you found peace with God through Christ on the grounds of his work, his righteousness, versus your own accomplishments? Um, we take for granted maybe that, that because you're here on a Sunday morning gathering and sacrificing what you could be doing uh, otherwise with your time today, that you're a believer. But that's certainly a question that we all need to be asking ourselves, you know, to, to shore up our salvation, to make sure that we have uh, put our faith and trust in Jesus, not our own accomplishments, not our own good works, not our own righteousness, that we're, we're fully trusting in his work for our salvation. And then secondly, I challenge you to make sure that you're pursuing unity and peace with individuals in your life, particularly other believers. And, and if you're not at peace with somebody in your life right now, to take steps to ensure that that peace happens. Remember I told you the scriptures would tell us that we would be better off not coming and gathering to worship in a church setting like this if we're with disunity with somebody else. We need to go work that unity situation out. We need to go perf- or go pursue peace and then come and worship, right? That that takes priority. And so I challenge you to think about your own life. Are there people, believers in your life that you're at odds with, uh, disagreements with, uh, disunity with, hurt that needs to be reconciled and to pursue that? We then come to uh, the last part of chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, This summary sentence says that our new identity in Christ makes us citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's family, and stones in God's temple, which means each individual Christian is equally valuable and participation in a local church is vitally important. This is the picture that Paul gives of who we are as Christians, as believers, when we come together and unite. We are part of a citizenship of a kingdom with the other saints. We are members of God's household, his family. You know, we talked about somebody relocating here to the United States. You can gain citizenship here and be a part of this nation, but far more intimacy is enjoyed if you come here and you're part of uh, the, the, the family of the president, right? You're, you're now part of an intimate family that has like responsibility within this nation. And that's what we enjoy as believers. Not only are we a part of God's kingdom, we are intimately involved as his sons and daughters through that adoption that we highlighted earlier in Ephesians. And so we're part of God's family, but then we're also part of this temple that's being built. And Paul highlights and says that the temple starts with Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundational piece to it. But then each individual believer plays this role of being a stone in the temple, and we're being built up into this structure to bring glory and honor to God. And so we talked about how we're to live as faithful citizens in this kingdom, uh, that we now enjoy all these privileges and promises that is 
Gentiles previously weren't part of our life, and now we enjoy those. We're to love each other intentionally as part of the family of God, and we're to listen faithfully as a stone in God's temple because he says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, their teachings about Jesus, who is our cornerstone. And so we listen faithfully to God's word. We align ourselves with this Jesus, who is the cornerstone, and we remain grounded in the teachings about him. And so I challenged you as application from this week to plan specific things during your week that are about God's kingdom and not just about the nation that we live in. Too oftentimes we fill our calendar up with obligations that we have as citizens here, right? We work our jobs, we clean our houses, we, we do our errands, and we're very much mindful of the things that we're supposed to do as a citizen here How much more then should we be mindful of the things that we should be doing as a citizen of God's kingdom? Make sure that you're building things into your week that are tied to your duties duties as a citizen of heaven. To plan to do things in the upcoming weeks to connect with your church family before the next Sunday experience. Don't make your involvement here with Sovereign Hope simply a Sunday-to-Sunday experience. To involve yourselves with the people here, to unite and to love each other as a family. And to also seek to ground yourself further in the teachings of God's word, to really ground yourself on the teachings of the apostles and prophets, um, as Paul talks about here at the end of chapter 2. That leads us into chapter 3, and we looked first at verses 1 through 6, where it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We said that God used Paul intentionally to further reveal his plan that was made long ago, a plan to unite Jews and Gentiles as the church a plan we are able to deepen our understanding about simply by reading and studying his word. I highlighted the fact for you that Paul starts by talking about him being a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and I challenge you to think of your life as being captured by the plans of God. He doesn't say that he's a prisoner of Rome or that he's a prisoner to the Jews. He doesn't see himself simply as a prisoner to man. He's not a victim of his circumstances. He's, he's talking about the sovereignty of God here. It's God's will for him to be imprisoned at this point. You know, Kevin talked a, a lot this morning about how their plans played out differently than they had planned, right? And while COVID is the human explanation for it, he continually came back to the fact that it's God's sovereignty that was fully in place as they were making decisions to go, right? They're not a victim of COVID. Their plans aren't a victim to COVID. It's submitted to God's sovereignty, as Kevin highlighted, Right? We're captured by the plans of God, not by human institutions. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not to Rome, not to Jew, not to man, but to God. And so we can therefore be encouraged by our own plans that we're captured by God and what he desires for us. We can be comforted by a God who plans, right? I told you that as Paul is talking about this revelation of how Jew and Gentile are coming together to be the church, this isn't a new plan of God. This isn't God coming up with something new. It was definitely there in the Old Testament. Now, Paul's saying that, hey, this wasn't fully known in the Old Testament, right? They didn't have a full picture of how Jews and Gentiles were going to come together. They certainly didn't understand that this many Gentiles were going to come, 
right? We hear stories of how the gospel is at, at work around the world and how Gentiles, people who are not Jewish people, are coming to faith in Christ uh, by the multitudes, right? This wasn't fully known in the Old Testament, but it was certainly known in the Old Testament that God was going to unite Jew and Gentile. It's a God who plans. We serve a God who plans. He doesn't react to things. He unfolds his plans, right? They're not developing. They're simply unfolding, and we can be encouraged by that too. Uh, But we certainly need to be committed to reading about God's plans and learning and growing because Paul says, you can read this. You can perceive my insight into this mystery. And this certainly has application for us because we need to fully understand this idea of unity, the fact that God is uniting Jew and Gentile together through love because we play a role in that. We play a role in that. We're to pursue that type of unity and love with others as we play the gospel out ourselves in our own life, right? And so we, we, we pray for God to work and move in us so that we can be this living stone, this piece of a structure of a temple that he's putting together. I challenge you to make plans to read the Bible, particularly over this summer where we're not engaged in our C group studies right now, to spend time just reading the Bible on your own, studying it with the desire to deepen your understanding of God and his plans for you. And then I also challenge you to look for ways to, to share what you're learning with others because that's what Paul does here. He's, he's learning and God is revealing things to him and then he's turning around and sharing what God has revealed to him to others. And we need to be faithful to do that too. As God teaches us from his word, we turn around and share that with others too to encourage them in their faith. We now look at verses seven through 13. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. The gospel is God's plan to save sinners of all kinds while uniting them as one people so that ultimately the angelic beings can further know the greatness of God by the ways the diverse church unites together in fellowship and love. This is, a, this is a concept that we don't always think about, and I challenged you when we were looking at these verses. The unity of our church, the unity of the believers in this church matters not just so that unbelievers can see our unity, right? That's, that's part of it. Like, we want unbelievers to look mysteriously into the church and see a group of people who aren't like each other and yet love each other intensely, right? But Paul goes further to say, hey, There's other aspects of God's creation that are looking in on the church too. There are angelic beings, and I believe both demonic beings and those who continue to reside in heaven that look into what is happening in the church. People from all types of walks and backgrounds coming together, setting aside their own agendas, setting aside their own interests for the sake of others, right? Living out the mindset of Christ that Philippians 2 talks about. They look in and they say, Glory be to God, because that doesn't make sense how sinful human creations would love each other that way, 
right? It's a, it's, a, it's a glory to God that we are able to do this through the power of his Holy Spirit. And Paul says the angelic beings look on at this and God's glory is being made known to them. And so, man, when we pursue unity, when we sit down with another believer and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I've been frustrated and hurt by you, by some of your actions. And rather than kind of keeping that to myself and harboring bitterness and anger towards you, I want to bring that to light. And I want to pursue reconciliation with you. To have a conversation like that, one, restores fellowship with the believer. That then leads to further fellowship with others as they kind of see that reconciliation happening. But then angelic beings are looking in on that too and are amazed at the power of God to bring people together in spite of their differences. It's this gospel that Paul refers to, verse 7, of this gospel. The gospel that he's referencing is the gospel that unites people Jews and Gentiles. And so it's a reminder to us that the gospel is certainly about us as individuals, but it's more than just about us as individuals, right? We're not just content to say, hey, me and God are good. I've been saved. I've put my faith and trust in him, and now I just live my life out. The rest of the gospel is that he wants to unite believers with other believers, and so we have to be mindful of that, that our uniting together brings glory to God. And so the application from this week was to keep seeking unity and reconciliation as needed with other believers, remembering that others outside this world are watching. And so we want to keep being mindful of that. Verses 14 through 19. For this reason, so Paul finally comes back to the prayer that he was starting in verse 1. Remember, for this reason, I, Paul, he starts this, this prayer that he's going to, to describe, and then he gets sidetracked. And so he comes back to it in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying for some supernatural things to happen. He's praying, and our summary sentence is, God provides the supernatural ability for us to carry out his plans for the gospel by giving us the strength needed to change our inner beings and the strength needed to comprehend his love together. So Paul's praying that we would be changed inwardly so that Christ can dwell fully in us. And this is a supernatural thing, right? God is changing our desires. He's taking sinful humans and making them holy individuals who desire his way of life. And so we pray that God would continue to do this. We pray that God would do this in the lives of our youth and our kids as they're being raised in a culture. Alex described a culture that's very attractive to the lost world, very tempting to an individual who is trying to follow Jesus. Right? We pray for the supernatural ability to, to hold fast and to stay strong and to yield ourselves to the Lamb. We also seek to, to pray and to comprehend his love for us more and more. Paul describes this love that is wide and deep and long, right? We want to know this love. Why? Because it helps us love each other better. The more we understand how loved we are by God, it empowers us to then turn around and love others in similar ways. And so I challenge you to start praying for God to give you daily power to be, to be changed inwardly to be changed inwardly in the ways that Scripture calls us to be and to also start praying for wisdom 
in how we're going to live this out as a church, even within our small groups, right? We've been talking now for several weeks now about how we're, we're changing our small groups for the fall, where you're going to have some flexibility to pick new small groups if you want to be in a different small group with a different leader in a different location. And uh, probably next week, we're going to give you the opportunity to start signing up for that, right? We didn't want to just say it and then turn around and give you a sign up and have you have a knee-jerk reaction to, okay, we're going to sign up right here because this is what we know we want. But to really be intentional to pray, God, where do you want me to be for this next year when it comes to the small groups at our church? Where do you want me to really invest my time and energy and love when it comes to a smaller group of people here? And so we're seeing that Paul is calling us to this, and so we want to give you those opportunities for application right here in this church. We come to the last part of chapter 3 with verses 20 through 21. And we've actually been here the last two weeks, I guess now. It says, as we pray for God's power to change us inwardly and for his love to transform our human interactions, we are to pray believing that he's able to answer these prayers in ways that exceed our expectations. Look what he says in verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we spent two weeks now talking about how he is capable of what we ask, like the things that we actually pray for. He's also capable of doing things that we only think about and we never actually pray for, things that we want God to do, but we never actually verbalize it as a prayer. He's able to do those things too. And he's able to do far more abundantly things that we don't even pray for, things that we don't even think about. He's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think We've talked about how prayer isn't about us getting stuff. It's about us getting stuff to then give him the glory for it, right? And so God is very intentional to give us what we need, but does so in answering our prayers so that we're faithful to give him the glory for it. But man, this this passage is so encouraging and yet so convicting too because we don't pray like we should. We don't believe like we should. And so this is a great reminder to us that we can pray and we can pray believing that God will do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. But man, it's also a reminder to us that he doesn't always do it the way that we ask or think, that a lot of times he does it in other ways, right? You know, thinking about last week, we're celebrating Andrew and Taylor and, and their praise over God's pregnancy that he had granted to them after praying for so long for a child again. And now we grieve with them over a miscarriage. And I was texting with them yesterday and I said, hey, you know, I know you know this, but as a reminder, like he's still the God that does things beyond what we ask or think, right? And this is a case where you asked and thought things, and we can only trust that he's doing something far more than what we asked and thought, right? And I told him, I said, and I don't know what that is right now, right? And Kevin and Carolyn and their family experienced answer after answer after answer for prayers leading up to their departure to Nepal, and now they're coming home saying, hey, this didn't play out the way that we asked or thought, Right? And all I can tell you is that, man, he is still the same God who does far more abundantly than what we ask or think. And, and I told you that I think a key to, to understanding what this means is in verse 21 where he says, it's to him that the glory comes, but not just for the now, but really for all generations. Right? And I told you, man, to think that God's plans and how he answers prayers aren't just designed for him to get glory right now but for him to get glory in the generations to come. 
And I have no doubt that as, as Kevin and Carolyn's kids grow up and, and have families of their own and have kids and, and grandkids down the road, that the experience over the last year and a half in some way will play a role down the road for generations to come where God gets glory for how he did things differently than how they asked or thought. Right? And, and that's where we take comfort is that God knows the whole picture, the big picture, where we only see like what's happening right now. But we keep trusting him because we've got this great record of, of past faithfulness that we can rely upon. We've seen God be faithful to his people. And then we have all these promises that God has still made to us that he hasn't fulfilled completely yet, and we trust that he will. And so that gives us great hope in the present when things aren't playing out the way that we ask or think or the ways that we desire. And we take hope and comfort in the fact that when he knows He's sovereign and he knows what's best. And so he gives and answers far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or think. And such an encouragement to us, those two verses right there, 20 and 21. I challenged you as application in the last couple of weeks. Are you praying for what you in this church need to carry out God's will? Are you thinking about things that need to become prayers, right? We don't want to just think about things that we want God to do. We want to verbalize those so that he can answer those prayers and so we can turn around and give him the glory for answering them for us, all right? So that's kind of a recap of where we've been. I want to give you real quickly the things to remember, three things to remember and three things to do as points of application from where we've been over the past, I guess, probably seven weeks now. Um, So let me give you three things to remember here. What should I remember from these last groupings of sermons. Number one, the gospel is absolutely for me, but not just for me. And as I look back over these verses, I can't help but see that the gospel is more than just an individualized plan to save you from hell, right? It's absolutely an individualized plan to save you from hell, but it's far more than that, right? The gospel isn't just about saving this person and this person and that person and then that person over there and then that person on that side of the world. It's about saving all these individuals and then bringing us together as one people in unity to give glory and honor to him. And so while we rejoice over God's individual salvation of us, we then go to work to make sure that we unite with other believers. And when we're not united, we pursue unity with each other. The gospel is absolutely for me, but not just for me. Number two, Unity towards others around me is a key way that I make God's glory known to all of his creation. Unity towards others, love towards others around me is a key way that I make God's glory known to all of his creation. Not just unbelievers, not just believers, even angelic beings get a greater glimpse of God's glory by watching us pursue unity with each other. Let that resonate with you a little bit especially if there's a situation that you're thinking of right now where you're saying, you know what, I'm just not going to bring that up with that person. I'm just going to try to get over it or I'm just going to be content with being frustrated and bitter and angry with them. There's an opportunity being missed for God's glory to be further known by parts of his creation by you not pursuing unity. Pursue the unity and make God's glory known. Number three, prayer is our method of receiving all that we need and more to carry out his purposes for our life. Three things that I would want you to remember from where we've been over the past several weeks. And then three things to do. Number one, I must seek to include others in this church, those like me and those not like me, on a regular basis to carry out God's plan for this church. 
I must seek to include others in this church, those like me and those not like me, on a regular basis to carry out God's plan for this church. And this is, this is an application for every single one of us in here. Whether you're a child, whether you're a youth, whether you're an adult, as God continues to grow our church and as people come and visit and people come and join, we all have a responsibility to include each other and to love each other and to serve each other. And it would be a mistake for anybody to sit here and say, you got that right. Somebody better start doing that towards me, right? Because think back to what we learned in the Sermon on the Mount. The golden rule is we treat others the way that we want to be treated, even if we never get treated that way, right? Even if we never get treated that way, we don't walk away and say, you know what? I tried. I gave myself a little bit and nobody ever reciprocated it to me. And so I guess I'll go do that somewhere else. No, we love each other intentionally and we keep doing it and we keep trying to include each other. Whether you're like me or not like me because the gospel is about Jew and Gentiles coming together in unity and so we do this together. We love each other. We include each other and we play our role even if we feel like others aren't, right? Because the golden rule is I treat you the way I wanna be treated even if you don't treat me that way. Let me encourage you to seek to include others in this church and the things that you're doing in your own growth, in your own fellowship, in your own accountability. As people come and our church grows, include them. Number two, I must pursue reconciliation when needed with those around me, whether I've been hurt or done the hurting to bring glory to God. This is an absolute requirement. If you're gonna follow the lamb wherever he goes, he has called you to pursue reconciliation when needed whether you've been hurt or whether you've done the hurting, the obligation is on you to go fix it. Whether you've done the hurting or have experienced the hurt, let me encourage you to pursue reconciliation if there's anybody that you need to do that with. And then number three, I must pray specifically for myself and others to be changed by the love of God while trusting God with the specific ways he answers. And let me encourage you to invigorate your prayer life coming out of this study in chapter three, where you are more intentional to develop things that you are praying for specifically in response to God's will, for yourself to be changed, for others in this church to ongoingly experience that inward change, to know God's love so that we can then love each other better. But then we're gonna trust God with the specific ways that he answers because he does more than we ask or think. And he does it differently sometimes than we ask or think as well. Three things to remember, three things to do. So let me encourage you. Even this week, find ways to include people that you maybe haven't included previously from this church. Pursue reconciliation if there's somebody that you're not in unity with. And then pray specifically this week. Pray for our youth. After a week at camp, pray that our youth would continue to learn and grow and and experience uh, maturity in their faith as they look to start back school in just a few weeks. They go back into those environments and pray that God would strengthen their faith. Let me encourage you to, to respond and not just be a hearer of these, learnt, these last few sermons, but to be a doer of these sermons as well. Let me close by just reading to you our identity truths. I forgot to make a slide for them, but here's the things that we've said that is true for every Christian over the past several weeks. Number one, every Christian possesses Jesus as their peace with God. Every Christian has full access to God now that hostility has been removed. Every Christian has a calling to be at peace with other believers. Every Christian is a full citizen in God's kingdom, an intimate member of God's family, and a unique stone in God's temple. 
Every Christian has access to deepen their perception of God's plan by reading the Bible delivered by special revelation to prophets. Think about that. You have the opportunity to have a quiet time this week. And by opening God's word, you are being able to perceive God's plan that was delivered uniquely and specially to prophets long ago. And it's been preserved and contained for you. People have died so that you could have it in a language that you can read and understand. And we'll be too busy this week with things of this world to not commit time to it. Man, take opportunities to to read about God's plan for you in his word. Every Christian is a fellow heir, fellow member, and fellow partaker in the plans and promises for God's people, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Every Christian is rich in Christ with the type of riches that will satisfy forever. Every Christian is meant to participate in the agenda of making God's wisdom known in heaven. Every Christian is able to access God for help in times of suffering. Every Christian has access to the interchanging power of God. Every Christian has the incomprehensible love of God upon them. And every Christian can pray to God who is capable of doing far more than we could ever ask of him. Man, those identity truths, um, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, to know that that is true about us, regardless of the background, regardless of the sin past that we've uh, come from, these things are true for us if we're a believer today. Let me invite you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We always go to this passage to prepare our time for the Lord's Supper. And this is something that we always do on Application Sundays because what we're doing by partaking of the Lord's Supper, and this is the ongoing ordinance that God has given to us. We believe that baptism is meant to be a one-time thing. After your expression of faith, you are communicating the change that has occurred inside of you. But as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are continually, ongoingly communicating to others around us that we're still saying yes to Jesus that we're still saying yes to Jesus even when he does things differently than how we ask or think. Man, God gets glory for us to sit here and to partake of his supper together when the angelic world looks on and says, but he didn't answer your prayers the way that you wanted him to. He didn't give you the things that you asked for or he gave them to you differently. For us to still say yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus, I'm following him. Wherever he takes me, wherever he goes, I'm committed to following him, I trust him, I believe him. I believe in his work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we believe strongly here at Sovereign Hope that the Lord's Supper does not save us. It does not add to our salvation. It does not keep us saved. But it is an outward expression of worship. It is an outward expression, um, a public display that we are still committed to Jesus, um, that we're still saying yes to Jesus, and I believe it's meant to be an encouragement to other believers as we partake together, but it's also meant to be a teaching tool, teaching tool for our kids, for unbelievers, that we are doing this until Jesus comes back because we believe that he is coming back. We believe that he is alive and well today, sitting at the right hand of his Father, and he is coming for us again. 
by partaking of the, the bread and the juice, what we are confessing and saying out loud to others is that we believe Jesus' life is our perfection, not our best works, not our good works, not our attempts to be good. It's Jesus who is good for us. And by drinking the juice, we are saying that it's his blood that redeems us. It's his blood that pays the price that we owe, that we can never work our way out of it, that we could never do anything to atone for the mistakes that we've made. Jesus has done all of it for us. And so I want to invite all of our believers here today, whether you're a member of our church or not, to participate with us, to celebrate the work that Christ has done, and to also long for his return. We've got uh, juice cups and bread in the back right outside. If you didn't pick one up on your way in, you're welcome to grab one of those um, during this this next few moments. We're going to I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to have some time to just personally reflect there in your seat. Tyson's going to lead us in a song, um, but then we're going to invite you to partake as the Lord leads you to partake um, and to use this as a means of worshiping him for all that he's done for us. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here together today. Lord, we are individuals who have been saved, but we don't want to be individualized in following you. God, we realize that you have very clearly revealed that we are to do this together, that the gospel isn't just about saving individuals. It is about uniting individuals who are so different to unite us as one people who are unified around the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And so we do that today, God. We do that by even partaking of this uh, juice and this bread together. That as we leave after today and we go to different homes, we go to work different jobs, we go to experience different things this week, that the most important thing we share in common, and that's that we have submitted our lives to you. And God, we long for you to send Jesus to come back for us. But as we wait upon his return, God, help us to keep trusting you. Give us the supernatural interchange to keep trusting you, even in life's disappointments, even when things don't go the ways that we planned. God, we're saying yes to you, and we're saying that we still believe that you're able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that comes through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. We worship you by partaking today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.